Well, good morning and happy new year to you. You know, it is great to be in a church where you don't just listen to the praise team or the minister of music lead worship, but you participate. And and it's great to hear the congregational singing here, knowing that what comes out of your mouth in praise of the Lord is true and is worship to him. And so I thank you for that today. I am Gary Loudermilk. I know there are other Loudermilks in this congregation, some by birth, some by marriage. As far as we know, we're not kin to any of them. And they all celebrated that. I don't understand it, but it's true. My wife, Mary, and I have been in Colorado now for about a year and a half. We've been married for 54 years. We were very, very young when we got married. We, we have two adult children who have wonderful spouses. And between them, they have provided us with four grandchildren, the oldest of which got married in August of 21, four days after we moved to Colorado. And so we also have a granddaughter-in-law as well. Between them, they have four dogs and two cats. I won't give any other qualifications about those. It's good to be with you this morning. There's some things I need to share as disclaimers before we begin. I am from Texas. You may have noticed that. Yes, thank you to both of you. What that means is I speak a different language than some of you. Occasionally you may hear me say something like fixing to. That means about, going to happen, going to try to get it done, somehow in the next few minutes or maybe tomorrow, but I'm fixing to. The other thing, I may occasionally use the word y'all. When I do, I'm usually only speaking about one of you or maybe your immediate family. If I want to talk about everybody here, I've got to say all y'all. That's the plural, okay? So keep that in mind. And so all y'all, I'm glad you're here this morning. The other thing that I need to add to that is that in the United States, the average person speaks at 130 words per minute. Keep that in mind. When we moved here, and I began to listen to some of you that have lived here all of your life or for a number of years, I thought it was a lot more. In fact, I thought it was 500 words a minute. But I found that it's probably only about 150 words a minute. Now, what you need to realize in Texas, we speak at about 75 to 100 words a minute. Now, let me translate what that means for the sermon this morning. (laughs) Pastor Chris, he is a wonderful pastor and preacher. Dearly love him. I know you do too. 
He provides so much knowledge, so much information, so much spiritual truth in the course of one sermon. I won't give you nearly that much this morning, but it will take me just as long to say it. Okay? Now that we've got that kind of straight, the, the other thing that I want to add, because last Sunday, Christmas Day, because we were not having child care and other things, uh, I noticed that there were several parents that were nervous, worried about how their children were going to act or not act in church. And, and there was a lot of, I better take them out now before I disturb somebody. When I was about eight or nine years old, I was staying with my grandparents for the weekend. They were farmers. Near them was a small rural town, and in that rural town was a small Methodist church, and that's where they attended regularly. And in that church, we went that Sunday morning, a lady came, and she had a fairly newborn baby, uh, probably about the age of yours, sir. And, and as babies will do, the baby started to squirm and then to cry and cry got a little louder and the mother got a little bit more nervous. What should I do? Because they didn't even know there was such a thing as a nursery there. And finally the pastor stopped in the middle of his sermon and he said this, ma'am, don't worry about it. I would much rather hear a baby crying in our service than to hear some of these old saints snoring. I have never forgotten that. <laughs> Even when I've been sitting out there and my wife has had to elbow me three times, I, I've, I still remember that. So keep those things in mind. The, the other thing that I want to share with you this morning is that I'm an avid reader. And so some of my illustrations come from what I've read. One of my favorite books... I call it classical literature. It comes out of 1926. It was a book written by a gentleman by the name of A.A. Milne, M-I-L-N-E. Some of you may recognize that name. A.A. Milne wrote in 1926 a book in which he cast his own son, Christopher Robin, as a main character. And he added to that some of Christopher's stuffed animals, but he brought them to life and gave them real lives. In that book, the first page of the first chapter of that book has a paragraph that I think is altogether important this morning for us to remember. And also remember that Christopher had named his teddy bear Edward. But A.A. Mill will change that name on the first page of the first chapter. Let me read to you that quote. Here is Edward Bear coming downstairs now. Bump, bump, bump on the back of his head behind Christopher Robin. It is, as far as he knows, the only way of coming downstairs. Uh, but sometimes he feels there really is another way. 
If only he could stop bumping for a moment and think of it. And then he feels that perhaps there isn't another way. Anyhow, here he is at the bottom, ready to be introduced to you, Winnie the Pooh. Now, some of you think of Winnie the Pooh as being unrelated to your life, except in terms of what you read to your children occasionally. But that paragraph, I think, says something to perhaps all of us about where we may feel like we are right now in life. We may feel like every day, every moment, is just another bump on the stairs going down. And someplace in the midst of all that, you begin to think there must be a better way. Must be a better way to live this life than, than what I'm doing right now. Or perhaps you've become a little cynical and you've begun to give up because it's gone on for so long and you've become a little bit like Winnie the Pooh and think maybe there's not a better way. I just have to put up with it this way, with the way life is right now with the struggles that I'm going through, with, with the life that I'm living. In the midst of that, I know that today is the first day of a new year. And when a new year begins, we always have high hopes, don't we? This year, 2023, it is 2023 already, isn't it? It's going to be so much better than 2022. It's certainly better than 2021, and who can remember or even wants to remember 2020. And so to make it better, today I'm going to write out all my New Year's resolutions. This is going to be the year that I'm going to go on a diet and lose weight. This is the year I'm going to sign up at a gym and I'm going to begin to exercise again, get back into shape like I was when I got out of high school. This is the year I've had enough of this old job and I'm going to find a new one. I don't know how to break this to you. But those are the same resolutions you wrote last year. And the year before, and the year before that, and the year before that. And in reality, even if you kept all of those, would they really change the whole direction and purpose of your life? Would they really make it all that you want it to be and feels like it could be? Probably not. And so this morning I want to share with you that I believe there is a better way. And I believe that that better way is revealed to us not through the culture of a day, but it's revealed to us through the Word of God. And so I want us to look this morning in the very first book of the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 7, two verses there that we'll look at, verses 13 and 14 in just a moment. Before we read those, I want you to understand something. If you really desire for life to be better, if you really desire a life that is a fresh and new direction, you've got to realize that that it will require all that you are given over to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so with eyes open and ears open and hearts open, we move forward. 
as our pastor would say, if you're able, I invite you to stand with me as we read from Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And we stand in the honor of God's word. Jesus is speaking. And he says, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Pray with me this morning. Our Father, we do thank you for a new day. Our calendar says it's a new year, but, but we know in your sight it's just another day and life moves forward. But Father, we pray today that you would open our eyes, our ears, our hearts to your truth and that we might hear from you that you might give us guidance about how we shall live the days that you give to us. And so, Father, I pray this morning that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would find acceptance in your sight. For you are our Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> The other thing that I should have mentioned a while ago, in adjusting to Colorado, I have found that the allergies that I had under control in Texas are different in Colorado. And so I have brought, I don't have one for everyone, but I have my own bottle of water and occasionally I'm going to have to stop and have a swallow of it. And now is the time. You know, the words we read are the words spoken by Jesus in what we call the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew did a great job in trying to pull all of that sermon together in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And Jesus has given us so much instruction and so much truth in, in those three chapters alone. I want to read some excerpts from that. We could easily read all of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and I hope that you would perhaps today as you begin a new year. But let me read just a few verses that are there. I begin in chapter 5, and these verses beginning with verse 3 are what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, be, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, 
for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And then skipping down, Jesus moves to some things, and he really begins to meddle in our lives at this point. Down in verse 21 of chapter 5, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. And then he moves down and gets even more in our midst in our day. And he says in verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust, lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. <clears throat> and then over in verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. You get in chapter 6, and we know that there's that famous passage that we often call the Lord's Prayer. It's probably better called the model prayer, for it's Jesus telling us how we should pray, what way we should follow. And in verse 9, it begins, it says, pray like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And then down in verse 19 of that sixth chapter, he really gets to our day, to our generation. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. These entire three chapters, five, six, and seven, are filled with the words of Jesus as he teaches, as he preaches, as he gives instruction. And we need to realize that this is Jesus the Christ, the Lord, the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who has come, and he is speaking and telling us how we should live, what we should value, how we should behave toward one another, what, what should be important to us, how we should carry that out. And I don't know about you, but when I read through those three chapters, I'm almost overwhelmed because I look at that and say, Lord, you know what I'm really like. You know what a struggle it's going to be for me to keep all of that and do all of that. How am I going to figure it out? Well, that's why I wanted to read chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, because I think it sort of encapsulates what Jesus is saying to us about what we should do, about who we should follow and where we should go. Uh, remember, he said, enter by the narrow way. He said, there's a wide way, 
but don't go that way. Go the narrow way. And, and this morning, I want us to look at those because, you see, when I say there's only two choices, what Jesus is saying, there's only two choices. In our day, we say, oh, no. You know, there are a lot of ways. There are a lot of choices. There are a lot of different ways we could live our lives. But I think Jesus is right. I think there's only two. And it's in those two that I want us to spend time and go through this morning. Robert Frost, the poet that many of you know, wrote a poem called The Road Not Taken. It ties in well with Jesus talking about the narrow road and the wide road. You know, he originally wrote that poem just for his poet friend, Edward Thomas. Uh, He and Thomas would go on walks through the woods And when they would get to a place where there would uh, be a branch in the trail they followed, Edward Thomas could never make a decision about which way to go. And he would look and say, well, maybe we ought to go to the left. It looks pretty good that way. But but the right is, you know, we could do this. And, And so Frost wrote this poem specifically and gave it to Thomas to kid him about how he had a problem making decisions. And then he read it to a class of college students. And they began to say, wait a minute, there's a deep meaning here. It's all introspective about life and and choices that we make. In a later interview in life, Frost was asked, so what was it? Was it a joke? Was it a serious poem? Are, Are we supposed to be looking at our lives by it? And Frost said, you know, I'm never more serious than when I use humor. Gives you an answer, doesn't it? The last three lines of this poem say this. Two roads diverged in a wood. And I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Years before, when Jesus spoke, That's exactly what he was saying. There's two roads. There's two paths. Uh, They open by two gates. And the gates are similar in nature to the paths. One is narrow, and the path is narrow. And one is wide, and the path is wide. But you have to make a choice. But Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. He gave instruction. He gave direction at the very beginning. And yet still today, we find ourselves saying, I don't know. You know, that wide path just looks so good. And and so I want to ask four questions this morning and and see if it'll help us make a choice about which path we really want to be on. Uh, The first question is simply this. Why does the wide gate and the wide way look so good? You ever thought about that? It it obviously does look good because the scripture even says many, many multitudes of people get on it and go that way. It it also says it's easy. How many people like easy over hard? The rest of you are holding back. You just didn't want to be embarrassed, okay? Okay. The truth is, if there's an easier way to do something over a hard way, we choose that, do we not? 
We look for that. That's why my grandmother made everything from scratch. I don't even think you can buy scratch anymore. (laughs) But now we look in the grocery stores in the frozen section and see what we can throw in the microwave. It's easier than scratch, you know? We look for an easy way, so that's nice. We also like to be a part of the majority. Most of us like to be a part of the crowd where there's more people. If you had shown up for church today and there had only been three other people here, how comfortable would you have felt? If I'd gotten up here, I could have only looked at the three of you. You know, so you really want to take it personally. I'd rather be where there's a crowd, you know. I can kind of hide out a little bit. People won't notice me. And besides, it's a good feeling to be a part of the majority. Have you ever thought about it in this way in our day? If something is inherently wrong, and yet the majority vote and say it is now right, do you realize it's still wrong? Just because we've gotten so used to, in our country, saying majority rules. It's a sad fact of life. When in reality is, God says, I rule. And here's my guidelines. And here are my desires for you. And here's the way I expect you to live. And then we turn around and say, I don't like that. I want an easier way. I want a different way. I'm just going to make what you say is wrong to now be right. But it really doesn't change anything. It's still wrong. So when we get on this wide way, the the reality is it's, it's wide enough to include all the views and all the values and all the directions and all the ways of life of everyone in existence in our world. And you realize how varied that is? It's why in our day that tolerance has become the way of life. We're all expected to just accept each other with their viewpoint, their way, their direction, and it's all acceptable on the wide way. You know, it doesn't matter what you hold to or what I hold to, we're all traveling this wide path together. The thing that's missing is inherent truth. Because see, just because you believe something's true and the person sitting next to you believes something else is true, different from what you believe, and the rest of these people over here believe something different from that, which one is true? When do we come back to God's Word and say, Lord, show us what is true, what is real. Uh, But you know what's nice about this wide way? Uh, See, this wide way, uh, it's where where everything happens. This is where we find the approval of the masses. Uh, This is where if you're a politician, there's more votes. Isn't that right? If you want to get elected, you've got to where all the people are. They're on the wide way. If you're in retail, where are you going to get the most sales? Where all the people are. They're on the wide way. All of this is part of it. More acceptance is found on the wide way. And so 
That's why so many people like it and choose it. But there's a second question attached to that. The question is this, where, where does this wide way lead? Have you ever wondered how far you can see? I mean, really see down the way? See, I have a hard time seeing all of you on the very back row there. And I've got fairly new glasses. They just don't cover everything. I'm still working on that, you know? How far ahead can you see? Have you ever found yourself in a position saying, you know, if I knew that it was going to turn out this way, I would have made a different decision. I would have chosen something different. If I'd known that escargot was was little snails, I would have ordered something different on the menu. If I could have seen far enough down the way, if I could have only seen what was going to happen. But the reality is, you and I have a hard time seeing the rest of today, don't we? We have a hard time seeing all that's going to happen. What even the people that we care about most, what they might say to us, what conversation we might have, what decision we might make. And so it comes down to seeing into the future, seeing down that long path. Who's going to help you see? Who's going to tell you what it's like? Who's going to make you aware of all that exists on that path? Well, let me give you a hint. The one that is leading this, the one that is, is the trail boss for the wide path is a master of deceit. He, he wants you to see it in a certain way. He, he wants you to see beauty. He wants you to see possibilities. He, he wants you to see what might be in your life. It, it's the way that is filled with human inventions. It's the way of politics. It's the way of finances. It's the way of status symbols. I I told Carol a moment ago before the service, years ago now, when I was just a wee little thing, I was pastoring a church and had finished my doctorate at, at Southwestern Seminary. A couple in our church brought me a gift on Sunday morning. And I opened that gift and took it out, and it was a symbol, one symbol. You know, you need two to be in the percussion session, Jay. One just doesn't do much for you. You know, you can hit against your head, but that's painful. One symbol. And, and they'd engraved my name on it and the degree I'd gotten and the date, all this. And then in big letters below that, it said, status symbol. You know, and it became like a reminder. What do we consider important in life? Is it the things that we can do? The things that we can attain? The things that we can reach for? The the things that we receive as awards or gifts? You know, on this road, we choose to worship what we make. Not because idolatry is logical but because it's empowering. See, that's why when Moses was on the mount getting the Ten Commandments from God, the people got anxious, and they instructed Aaron, make us a golden calf that we can worship here. Give us something that we have 
control over. See, we would rather control something than be controlled, wouldn't we? I mean, really? Have you ever thought about how valuable a golden calf is? It can't do a thing. But you can move it wherever you want to take it. It it can represent or be whatever you want it to be. It doesn't give out a list of instructions or guidelines. It just exists. It sits over in the corner of your house so that your toe can run into it in the middle of the night. But it accomplishes nothing. And yet on the wide road, that, that's who we're worshiping. That's who we're serving. But, but some of you would say, but you see, on this wide road, on this wide road, I, I know that if I hold to the values that they want me to, I'll get a promotion. But if I reject those values and hold to what the Scripture says, I may get fired. Uh, If I'm running for office and and I hold to the values that, that the majority wants, I may get elected. But if I hold up Christ, I'll get defeated. But Satan makes everything look so good to us. He has a way of tempting us that moves us the farthest away from God that we can get. Do you remember what Paul wrote over in Romans chapter 6, verse 23? He said, for the wages of sin is death. I like that word wages. We think of it as salary. But you see, it it has a connotation that comes out of, of pay for a Roman soldier. And they were promised certain amounts of money for serving in the Roman army. But money was tight. And what they often got was not money, but an apportionment of meat. Wages became synonymous with substitute pay. Substitute pay. Satan is the master of bait and switch. He offers you something that looks so good, but when you get there, he gives you something different. And what the scripture says is that if you follow this way, if you go this path, if you take this direction, the end is destruction. And and the scripture describes destruction as being total separation from God. And it's described as, as that word hell, that burning like a fire. Now, what looks good today, at some point in time, becomes destruction. So is that your choice? Is that what you want in life? Then maybe you ought to go through the wide gate and follow the wide path. Now, there's another choice here. And Jesus said it's the one you ought to take. Uh, Why does the narrow gate and way look so hard? Well, for one reason, the Scripture says it is hard. You know, so that's kind of a clue, isn't it? You know, to know that it's going to be difficult. It's not going to be easy. It's narrow. It's not highly populated. Uh, In fact... And this is the hard part to recognize. Sometimes members of your own family 
your friends, your co-workers, your classmates, they aren't on that path. They aren't going that way. And, and you think I ought to be with them, which is back on the wide way. But Jesus says, choose the narrow way. You know, Jesus even said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross and follow me. I don't know about you, but a cross doesn't sound like a fun way to go. When I read in the scriptures and I read about the crucifixion of Jesus, or I go back in the history books and I read about Roman crucifixion, no, I don't know that I want that. But Jesus says, if I want to follow him, I have to be willing to lay everything else aside and come after him and come and follow him. That's why I said your eyes, your ears, your hearts need to be wide open because it's, it's a choice that you're making in life about where you're going to go and what's going to happen. See, this way is not the way that where everyone applauds everything that you do. You know, we live in a day we think if we show up, we ought to get an award or a recognition or a word of thanks or a trophy. But being the person that God wants you to be doesn't necessarily get recognition from everybody around you. Doesn't necessarily get recognition from the world, does it? Ultimately, there's a reward to be found at the end of this road. But, but right now, day by day, it's not necessarily the path of constant applause. Uh, this way is not one of worshiping what we can do, but real, realizing that apart from God, we can do nothing. You see, the worship along this way is the worship of the Creator, not the creation. And sometimes we lose sight of that. We, we forget that all, here in Colorado, all the beauty that we see, all the mountains, all the snow, all the beauty of it. Do we worship that? Or do we worship the God who gives that, who created it, who made it, who designed it, and who gave us the privilege to happen for a period of time to live in view of it? You know, which one are we worshiping? The creation or the creator on this narrow road this narrow way of life, worship must be of the Creator. He is the one who made us. He is the one who calls us. On this narrow road, it's hard because if you look back in history, rejection, persecution, even martyrdom has been the result. Remember what it said over in the Beatitudes? Rejoice and be glad. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. See, that's the other thing we have to look at, the last question. Where does the narrow gate and the narrow way lead? Where does it take you? Where do you go on this road? Why would you choose this where? I think it's only because of where it goes. I think that's the drawing card for many people. Uh, this road alone stands to lead us into eternity, a life that the Bible describes as heaven. It is the only way that goes there, Jesus said. He didn't say there are many ways to the heaven or to the Father. He says, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. Remember that? And then he told his disciples when he was departing, or before he departed, before his crucifixion, he says, I'm going before you. And there I'm, I'm going to prepare all the places for you, the mansions, houses, the skateboards, whatever some of you need. I'm going before you to take care of that, that where I am, there you may be also. See, that's the key. This road leads to him. It leads to him not only for a brief time, but for, for all eternity. You see, our lives on this planet are really pretty brief, are they not? My father had his first heart attack when he was 34 years old. He passed away at age 68 during his second bypass surgery. I say I'm at plus seven. See, I'm 75, and I've never had a heart attack, and I haven't had bypass surgery. Doesn't mean it won't happen tomorrow. I don't know how long life expectancy is for each one of us, but I know it's brief in terms of all eternity. It's brief. And what you and I decide today about how we're going to live and who we're going to follow will determine not only the rest of these years, but all eternity. And see, even if we live to be a really ripe old age of 100, how many of you can count to infinity? In infinity, like a gazillion plus one, or is it a gazillion plus two, plus three, or what's beyond a hundred thousand gillion? You know, there's no way. It's forever. The decisions we make now affect not just today, but our lives for all eternity. See, Satan is a deceiver. He tells us one thing about his way and then offers something else. Jesus even says and carries it out, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You know, some choices that we make in life at various stages are made for us. There's nobody in this room when you were two months old decided what you were going to wear that day. Nobody when you were two months old in this room decided what you were going to have in that bottle that was placed in your mouth to drink. As you got older and they started spooning food into your mouth, the only way you could give any opinion was to either spit it out or to swallow it. You didn't have a choice about what was on the spoon. But there comes a time in life when there are certain choices you have to make that you have to decide. Your parents will tell you one day, Okay, you can either go in and do your homework and study and, and you can pass this grade you're in now or you can not do that and you can repeat the grade next year. Your choice. 
But there becomes a more important choice in life. And that choice is, who do you follow? Which path do you take? And see, this morning, every one of us in this room are on one of these two paths. And some of us think we can go back and forth from one path to another. We'll try this one for a while. We'll go to the other one, go back, go back and forth. But you see, the Lord calls us to be consistent and to follow him at all times. And to follow him, he says, on the narrow way. So let me ask you this morning. If you see yourself today on that wide path, how's that working out for you? Does it feel like going down a set of stairs with somebody holding your hand but going too fast and your head just keeps bumping on each step? Bump, bump, bump. You don't have to stay on that path. The Lord extends himself to you and offers you a call of faith to come and to follow him, to trust in him, the one who died on a cross for your sin, the one that, that God raised from the dead to say, he's done it all for you. Your sins are forgiven if you just trusted him. The one who extends and offers you a hand of faith Say, come and follow me. If you're on that narrow path, then you have a responsibility because there's so many people that need to know and hear about and discover and find out the benefits of that narrow path. And he has given you a mouth with which to speak and a faith by which you can share what is taking place in your life and what can take place in their lives. I want you to bow with me in prayer this morning.